Welcome to Whitewater Wesleyan Community Church, where we invite you to believe in Jesus, belong to his church, and become like him. Stay tuned for this week's message. We're uh, continuing our look at uh, the Jigsaw Messiah, the pieces of the puzzle that, uh, that were spread through history in the Old Testament that, that allude to this coming Messiah, this one who would rescue and be a hero. And uh, this morning we're picking up the thread in Zechariah chapter 6 and starting at verse 9. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 9. Then I received another message from the Lord. Heldiah, Tobijah, and Jediah will bring gifts of silver and gold from the Jews exiled in Babylon. As soon as they arrive, meet them at the home of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Accept their gifts and make a crown from the silver and gold. Then put their crown on the head of Yeshua, son of Jehoizadak, the high priest. Tell him, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Here is the man called the branch. He will branch out from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he will build the temple of the Lord. Then he will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. He will also serve as priest from his throne. And there will be perfect harmony between his two roles. The crown will be a memorial in the temple of the Lord to honor those who gave it, Haldai, Tobijah, Jediah, and Josiah, son of Zephaniah. People will come from distant lands to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And when this happens, you will know that my messages have been from the Lord of heaven's armies. All this will happen if you carefully obey what the Lord your God says. May the Lord open his word to our hearts. So we started our journey in Daniel. And if you remember, Daniel was a young man who showed a lot of promise. And all of the promising young men from Israel were carted away to exile in Babylon. That was Babylon's way of controlling the day. They, they would take the young men who would be the leaders of their community, the ones who would be expected to kind of become somebody important. And they took them away to Babylon and they started to teach them Babylonian culture and uh, Babylonian uh, ways of life. And they would try to get them hooked on that. So they, they fed them the richest food and they, they fed them from the king's table. They didn't torture them. They were smarter than that. What they wanted to do was teach the leaders of Israel to be loyal to Babylon. So they taught them to live according to their customs. They taught them uh, how to follow their ways of life. They taught them to follow their religions. And so there are times in the book of Daniel when, uh, when Daniel and his friends are kind of torn and, and have to decide what they're going to obey and what they're not going to obey. What they're going to go along with that's part of the culture and just how it has to be because they're captives and which things they need to stand up to and say, no, as the people of God, we just can't do that. And there's this struggle, this tension for them. They're, they're kind of in a dark place and, and they can feel the pressures to just fit in, the pressure to just go along, the pressure to become more Babylonian and less Israelite. And uh, that's... That's where our story started. And Daniel had been in exile when he received this vision that kind of changed things for him. And and he has a vision of these four wild, different beasts. 
and the chaos of the sea with winds blowing from four directions. And it all represented kind of the darkness, the chaos, the, the push of all that was pushing in on him in his world. And he says that he, he pictured this, this son of man, this normal human man that steps into the chaos and brings peace to it and puts an end to the rule of the darkness and the chaos. And so this son of man began this picture that we've been looking at that's, uh, that's just hints that God had given that he was going to send a rescuer for mankind. And then we went back to, to David before that, and, and King David had been promised that he would have an heir that would follow in his, as one of his descendants that would sit on a throne forever, that he would never be overturned, and he would bring about this kingdom that would never end. And so from the Son of Man, then it's, it's from David's prophecy, the, the Son of God. And uh, we saw this picture develop that, that had been spread over century after century. And a little hint there and a little hint there of what it would be like and who he would look like. And we can relate to the, the picture in Daniel of, of the chaos and, and the scary world that that he lived in. We can, we can relate to the pressure of a world that doesn't honor the God of heaven, but, but comes at us with pressures to, to act and to live according to other kind of value systems. And so the people had, had grappled with what it meant to be the people of God in a time when there was pressure to not live the way that they wanted to live and not to live in the freedom of, of worshiping the one true God. And they started to grapple with this plan, this, this promise that they had of a, of a coming Savior and, and the Messiah that would make it happen for them. So as the puzzle pieces fit together, they, uh, they gave the prophets and the people of Israel hope. But it also raised a lot of questions for them. Like, how will this work? And, and how are we going to recognize when the Messiah comes? Like, how are we going to know that's the time? How are we going to know when the real hero comes so we can back him up, so that we can get right behind him and, and follow him? And how will we know when the peace is really going to come so that we're free and we're not feeling that pressure anymore and we're not, not being pushed around anymore and we can really, truly live as the people of God? And if you remember along Along the way, when Roxanne uh, preached the other Sunday on Psalm 2 at the beginning of the first book of the Psalms, and, uh, and the psalmist said, why do the nations rage and why do they resist God rather than submitting to him? And, and you know, why do they push back and, and why is it they want to overthrow God's chains like, like they feel like he's trying to enslave them? Why don't they just go along with God? Why don't they follow his plan like it's a good plan? But then by Psalm 89, by the, the end of the third book of the Psalms, they had, they'd started to kind of doubt and lose hope and wonder if it was ever going to happen. And at the end of book three in Psalms, uh, in Psalm 89, it says, Oh Lord, how long will this go on? Will you hide your face forever? Like, how long, oh Lord, will this go on? Will you hide your face from us forever? Like, we can't see what you're doing. We can't see what's going to happen. It feels like it's never going to happen for us. And we feel stuck here in this darkness and in this chaos and in the pressures of the world around us. And we don't know how to push back anymore. And God, it, it, you promised us that you were going to send a rescuer and, and he hasn't shown up yet. And we're, we're starting to lose hope. And they wondered if it was ever going to happen. 
And then around 587 B.C., the exile started to expire. And gradually, bit by bit, people were being released to leave Babylon and go back to Israel. And so in little groups, they would, get, they would be freed. And, and we have the story in our passage this morning of, of three guys that are believed to be priests. Three men, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah. And they're probably priests, and they're coming home from Babylon. And everybody in Babylon had kind of given them gifts to bring back. They said, here's some gold, here's some silver, like take it with you. And there was an offering being taken up at home in Israel. And, and so they were to go to Josiah's house and to give that to Josiah. Josiah was entrusted with accepting all these gifts, and they would gather the gifts together. And, and you know, we, eventually we're going to be able to rebuild the wall, and we'll be able to rebuild the temple, and, and we'll be safe again, and, and we'll be able to worship like we're used to, and we'll be able to go back to being the people of God in the land that he promised us. And everything will be all right, and we'll be peaceful again. And so in this, in this vision that, that Zechariah receives, he's, he's told that these three men will come back and they'll have gifts and, and that he's to take them to Josiah's home and, and that there they're, a, they're able to give their gifts and he says that the gifts are to be fashioned into a crown, to two interlocking crowns from the gold and the silver. And then he's told that they, they're, they're to make this crown and they're to place it on Yeshua's head and it says that Yeshua is the son of the high priest. And so there, there might be a character back there that's, that's Yeshua, but, but they start talking about this. And Yeshua, that's the same name that, that in the Old Testament is translated as Joshua. In the New Testament, you know, it's Jesus, right? That's the name. And so they talk about putting the, the crown on this Yeshua's head and, and this character Yeshua, Jesus, He's going to be, they said, they'll put it on his head and he'll be called the branch. In Zechariah 6.12, it says that uh, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Here is the man called the branch. He will branch out from where he is and he'll build the temple of the Lord. And so that's the promise that, that this man will be called the branch. And then in, in, uh, in 970 BC, even long before that, in, in 2 Samuel, at the end of David's life, you remember one of the prophecies was from David. And, and on David's deathbed, in, in chapter 23, in verse 5, uh, it says, it is, not my is it not my family God has chosen, David says? Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. He will ensure my safety and success. He says, is it not my family God's chosen? He's made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is guaranteed in every detail. He'll arrange my safety and success. And, and he says there again that uh, in, in one of those verses there that, that it'll be Anatoly, which is the word that, that in the New Testament or is, is translated as, uh, as Daystar. And he says, from my family, from my branch, will be this, this uh, contemporary of Zechariah. 
He says, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant, a righteous branch from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says. David will have a descendant sitting on his throne forever. And then in Isaiah 4 and chapter 2, that's at about 585 to 540 BC, somewhere in there during the exile. But in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, the fruit of the land, and will be pride and glory of all who survive in Israel. So all through the Old Testament, here and there, they keep mentioning this carrier, the character, the branch. You know, he's the son of man. He's the son of God. He's the anointed king. He's the branch. They all, they all overlap in the prophecies. So no surprise in the New Testament when Zacharias, he's the father of John the Baptist. And Zacharias says, John will prepare the way for day spring. It says, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be... And then uh, in Zacharias, John the Baptist's father says, uh, John will prepare the way for Anatoly. Day spring is, is, the, is the translation of Anatoly. Anatoly means day spring, but it has two meanings. It means day spring or the light of dawn, but it also means one other thing. What do you think it means? Branch. And so there's this, this recurring theme, and, and John it, it has been prophesied over by his father, Zacharias, that John the Baptist is going to make the way right, ready for the branch. And you know from the New Testament that, that John is the forerunner. He's the one that comes in the spirit of Elijah and, and preaches the forgiveness of sins and gets, makes the way straight, the path straight for Jesus' coming. That's, that's what we're told. So all of these threads fit together and then Zacharias just prophesies and he says, you know, you're going to get things ready for the branch. Same branch, the branch that's mentioned 900 years before Jesus, 970 years before Jesus and 500 years and 585 years and, and all through the centuries there's, there's mention of this person, the branch. And so here in Zechariah's prophecy he says, you, you'll put the crown on Yeshua and he'll be known as the branch and he he says that the the two crowns will be interlocked and and the two crowns that he wears the one crown that's kind of two crowns together it says he'll sit on his throne and he'll be the king but that he'll also be the priest He says he will build the temple. Yes, he'll build the temple and he'll serve as priest from his throne. And there, he, uh, he'll, sorry, then he will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. He'll also serve as priest from his throne. And there'll be perfect harmony between his two roles. Like both things he'll do in equal measure. A king rules people, right? Like he's got a relationship with his people. And he doesn't just rule them, he's responsible for their safety. Like he, he looks after his subjects. He's responsible to lead them well, if he's a good king. And so 
this character, Yeshua, the branch, the one that's been foretold, he's to lead the people and, 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 and you know, he's responsible for the safety of the people, but he's not just a king. We're told in this, in this uh, prophecy in Zechariah that he's also a priest, that, he, that both roles are equal, that he's a, a, a king over the people, but he's also a priest, and priests were the ones that were go-betweens, that were reconciling people to God, helping people with their relationship with God. And so this, this hero, this rescuer, he's not going to be a regular kind of king. He's going to be the kind of king who balances his care for the people and his relationship with them with his relationship with God and the way that he brings people to God and puts people in, God in contact with people. And so he's responsible for restoring the relationship and helping it to work out. And that's the role that this, this branch, this Yeshua, will take. And so at the end of the exile, when things were starting to come back together, there's this promise of not just the temple being rebuilt. It's more than just some money to rebuild the temple and the wall and to go back to business as usual. They're promised this character, this person, that will balance those roles and will bring about true peace and, 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 and a true kingdom that will last forever. And so it stands in line with all these other prophecies that pull together this picture of this one character that will unite all of history and will re renew our relationship with God and help people to know him. It's no surprise that in the New Testament, it's not just Zacharias that we look to, but also in 1 Peter, we are told when Peter is, is describing what the world is, he says, but you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So Peter says to the people of God, to the church, you are a chosen people. You're royal priests. You're kings, you're priests, you're royalty. You're, you're royalty, but you're also a priest. You're responsible for the relationship with God and the relationship with everybody else. Jesus had once said when he was asked what, what the greatest commandment is, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Like your relationship to God and then your relationship to everybody else, those are the two things. And he set us on that course where it's our responsibility to build our relationship with God and to know God and to lean into our relationship with him so that we can have a better relationship with everybody else and we can know the things that we need to know in order to be good people in this world and to have healthy relationships with the people around us. We live out the kingdom here because we receive the kingdom from there. It would be Yeshua's mission to do that, to be priest and king, and then we are told that we're a kingdom of priests, that we've got the exact same role that he had because we're his people, and we're the ones he chooses to use to bring about his kingdom in the world.
And it's not the kind of kingdom that goes around violently pushing its own agenda that tries to take over land and push people and force people into submission. It's not that kind of kingdom. It's the kind of kingdom that spreads, Jesus teaches us, by love and the way that we love even our enemies. And when we live out kingdom values, when we live according to the scriptures, when we understand the teachings that Jesus gave us about how we're supposed to treat each other, that we will start to act that way within the body of Christ, and then we will spread that love and that kingdom until nobody on the planet hasn't heard it. He gives us that role that he had, and he puts us as little versions of him so that we bring him to bear on every situation we walk into. And we act as if we're Jesus to our neighbors and our friends and our family. And we bring his kingdom to light in every dark place. We light it up with the light of his kingdom. And the thing about darkness is that darkness, wherever it is, can seem really oppressive. It can seem really overpowering. But whenever there's a light lit, wherever there's light, darkness is no match for it. And the light of his kingdom, when it shines in us, is more powerful than any force in the universe. And when we live out the mission that Jesus left us with, it changes the world. We are called to go on that mission and live out that truth in such a way that his kingdom takes over the world. Let's pray together. God, this morning as we gather as a people, we realize that the world can be a dark place and that much around us can fall into chaos and darkness And that sometimes it feels like the forces of darkness are are far stronger than what is good and true. And it can seem as if we are the small minority when we're trying to do the right thing and, and trying to live by your principles. And that sometimes we feel small and powerless and weak. But Lord Jesus, you came in the most vulnerable way and you didn't look like much in that manger. But your coming changed everything. And the power that you used, not the power of violence, but the power of love was so overwhelming that we are sitting here thousands of years after celebrating the fact that you came and showed up and that we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you rescued us. And so we ask you this morning to give us courage to live out your kingdom, to fight the forces of hatred with love, to live out your peace in the midst of a fearful world, and to know your joy when there is great grief and sadness and anxiety around us, that you would fill us so full of the anticipation of your coming and the fullness of your spirit that you can be seen working in us and through us. Help us to not miss one opportunity 
as it says in Peter, to show your goodness. Because you called us out of darkness. And you called us into the light and to be the light. Fill us so with that light that we shine and the world is changed because of it. We pray in, in the name of the one who came and the one who lives and the one who works in us his purposes and reveals to us his kingdom, the name of Jesus.